The CECC reported 33 local COVID cases on Tuesday, including multiple isolated cases with unknown sources of infection. The cases were distributed across the country from Qilong to Zhanghua. The health minister confirmed that the risk of community infection has gone up. People should get tested if they have COVID symptoms, a contact history with known cases, or a travel history in known hotspots. But the health minister said that Taiwan will continue to ease restrictions as it shifts towards a policy of quote-unquote living with COVID. It's true that the risk has gone up, the risk to the community. There are a lot of hotspots, so close monitoring is needed. With outbreaks cropping up across the country, CECC Commander Chen Shizhong urged the public to heighten its vigilance. 33 local cases were reported on Tuesday. Many were unrelated to each other and had an unknown source of infection. There are six cases with infection sources yet to be determined. Two of the cases are a family cluster. Altogether, we are still pursuing the sources of 17 cases. In the future, depending on the findings of our epidemic investigations, we may consolidate some of these cases under the same transmission chain. Some of Tuesday's cases were part of known cluster infections, such as the ones at a Jilong restaurant, a Taoyuan power plant, and a Kaohsiung chemical factory. But other cases were isolated and had no clear source of transmission. These were found in Jilong's Anle district, New Taipei's Zhonghe and Danshui districts, Zhanghua and Taipei. Over the past six days, Taiwan has racked up 200 local infections, most of which appeared in the last three days. Many had no workplace or geographic connection to known cases. On Tuesday, the CECC was asked if it might raise the national COVID alert. The criteria for raising the COVID alert are no longer applicable. They can no longer be used. When dealing with Omicron, with such a highly transmissible virus, we cannot apply those same standards to bring society to a halt. Economically, it is completely unrealistic. But yes, controls are needed. The CECC said the rules of the game had changed long ago and that the Omicron virus required a different approach. It said it would continue to ease restrictions gradually with the goal of coexisting with the virus. Self-protection is key to this approach, it said. If you have symptoms, you need to get screened. And if you test positive, you need to report it. You need to tell your friends, the friends you were in contact with. You need to tell them as soon as possible. You need to take your health into your own hands. Of course, the same goes for businesses. People with symptoms, a contact history with infected cases, or travel history in COVID hotspots are advised to go to a local COVID test site or take a rapid test at home. On Tuesday, the CECC expanded its network of home home test kit distribution sites from 240 venues to 540 across the country. The CECC has announced its public health rules for the tomb sweeping day long weekend. It wants the public to stagger their visits to their ancestral graves by not going on tomb sweeping day itself, which is next Tuesday. After death facilities like Columbaria must impose crowd control measures. They should also set up tables and tents for outdoor worship to reduce crowding in enclosed spaces. Coming up after tomb sipping is Matsu's birthday, which is celebrated with a major pilgrimage. This year, the CCC will ban all pilgrimage rites in which social distancing cannot be maintained. This includes rituals like crawling chair feet, in which people wait in line to crawl underneath Matsu's sacred sedan chair. During the procession, all meals must be served in bento boxes and organizers must prevent overcrowding at rest areas. Not only that, all participants must be fully vaccinated and boosted.
the Fuxing Semi Express train retired on Tuesday after going on one last run. The train first rolled out in 1981 as the first in the country to offer air conditioning. On Tuesday, rail fans joined the vintage train on its last journey from Hualien to Shuling. Here at Taipei Main Station, a big crowd snaps away as the train pulls in. This is the final run of the Fuxing 605 service. Many rail enthusiasts on the Fuxing Semi Express pose for photos with this commemorative prop to mark the train's final service. I used to live in Kaohsiung, but I have now lived in Taipei for more than 40 years. I used to take this train to and fro. I'm a little sad that it's retiring, so I seize this chance to ride it one more time. When I traveled long distance as a kid, I often encountered the Fuxing Semi Express. This is like the end of an era. I spent the night in Hualien yesterday so that I could take this train from Hualien. The Fuxing Semi Express rolled out in 1981, offering air conditioning and assigned seating. 41 years later, rail fans joined it on its final journey, setting off from Hualien in the early morning. Its nostalgic green seats and vintage vibe will soon be a thing of the past. The retirement of the Fuxing Semi Express symbolizes the start of a new stage for the TRA. This new stage will focus on simplifying the fleet. In the future, there will only be intercity trains, local trains, and tourist trains. On the Hualien Shulin route, the Fuxing Semi Express will be replaced by the EMU 900 Local Express as the Taiwan Railways Administration opens a new chapter of its history. Three Taiwan companies stand accused of still doing business with Russia despite pressure to cut ties. They've landed on a list compiled by a Yale University professor and his team. According to these researchers, Taiwanese PC maker ASUS has not actually suspended operations even though it promised that shipments to Russia were, quote, at an effective standstill. Two other Taiwanese PC makers also made the list. ASUS has announced a new AI cloud technology project with the National Health Research Institutes and NVIDIA. They will build Taiwan's first supercomputer for medical use, which can greatly reduce data processing times. If you were to analyze the data, it would take four to five months. It's hard to imagine that with this equipment, we would be able to cut that to just 22 minutes. That's a huge difference. At the project's press announcement, ASUS CEO Johnny Shi was asked to confirm that his company had stopped shipments to Russia. She said the company had already made a public announcement about the shipments. On March 14th, the company released a statement saying that its shipments to Russia were at, quote, an effective standstill, and the firm would donate 30 million NT to help relieve operations in Ukraine. But according to a team at Yale University, ASUS has not in fact suspended its Russia operation. On the list of companies still operating in Russia, the Yale team also called out Taiwan's MicroStar International and ASA. Both companies have responded to the charge, saying that their operations abide by international trade rules. Since the conflict between Russia and Ukraine broke out, more than 3 million Ukrainians have been forced to leave their homes and escape to neighboring countries. 
the Mustard Seed Mission has partnered with European humanitarian organization Medair to offer aid to Ukrainians caught in the conflict. FTV reporter Stephanie Yang has the details. Hundreds of people, even maybe thousands, already being registered. According to data from the United Nations Office for the Coordination of Humanitarian Affairs, since the start of the Russo-Ukrainian conflict, 3.06 million Ukrainian refugees have crossed borders, a record high since World War II. That includes over 1.5 million children who have had to leave their homes and flee to neighboring countries. Some Ukrainian children were forced to leave their country on their own, as their families weren't able to leave with them. My mom and dad had to stay because we have mobilization in the country and, we, and the men from 18 to 60 can't uh, cross the border. It was really sad, but he promised to come. Ukraine is on fire. The people is dying. And we're so scared. The sky for uh, Ukraine is closed, and we don't have any choice to go out. One week, we don't have water, electricity, and gas. We don't eat anything. Uh, also, water, anything, hot water, anything, and. We just cry. The Mustard Sea Mission Taiwan has partnered with European humanitarian organization Medair to launch a rescue operation for Ukrainians. In fact, before the war broke out, Medair was already present in Poland, ready to take action at any time. Once the war broke out, they were able to quickly enter neighboring countries to help refugees. They have been in Poland since February. Our humanitarian rescue operation began on March 3rd. We'll be ready to start shipping trucks of serious uh, humanitarian aid into these five or six cities. So far, Medair has established 12 aid warehouses in eight transit centers. They plan to recruit 100 to 200 volunteers to establish a service base in Poland. They estimate they will assist more than 150,000 people, including 58,000 Ukrainians in Ukraine and another 100,000 in Poland. This time around, we are directly serving 158,000 Ukrainian people, of which 100,000 have entered Poland as refugees. Among them, there are 58,000 Ukrainians who are still reluctant to leave their homes and are waiting to be rescued in Ukraine. So our service also extends to people in Ukraine. Besides providing medical care and sanitation services and distributing water and relief supplies, the rescue team also provides long-term shelter and psychological counseling for Ukrainian refugees and homeless people. The association says it needs about two million U.S. dollars to cover operation costs. When Medea found out that Taiwan would also be involved in this kind of aid and would donate money to support their operations, frontline workers were very excited. They felt that they weren't just able to engage in relief operations, but that they were also being cheered on and supported by people around the world. The two million U.S. dollars will be used to pay for the basic living needs of the families in the relay station and also to cover medical expenses. Also, due to the war, some people may develop trauma, so the funds are needed to cover psychological and medical expenses. Then there is the cost of hosting families for a whole year. The Mustard Seed Mission is extending its support to Ukrainians, urging members of the public to join the effort and offer donations to help people in need. FTV reporter Stephanie Yang and Guo Hai in Taipei. President Tsai Ing-wen received National Endowment for Democracy President Damon Wilson on Tuesday. The head of the U.S.-based nonprofit is on his first Asia tour since taking office last year, and Taiwan is 
the first stop on the itinerary. During the meeting, Tsai said that the war in Ukraine showed how important it was for democracies to unite against authoritarianism. She said Taiwan looked forward to sharing its experience at the Global Assembly of the World Movement for Democracy, scheduled for October in Taipei. Authoritarian nations are currently spreading disinformation and using cognitive warfare in an attempt to manipulate democratic nations. Taiwan has rich experience in combating disinformation, and we look forward to sharing our experience with the National Endowment for Democracy so we can bolster our democratic resilience. This is the first stop on my first trip to Asia as president of the National Endowment for Democracy. And it's intentional to underscore that we stand with Taiwan. In a show of solidarity, Wilson said, I am Taiwanese, using both Mandarin and Hokkien. He said that Taiwan's burgeoning democracy was an example to the world. He said he hoped that more countries could learn, understand and support Taiwan's democracy. The Citizen Congress Watch has released its latest rankings of Taiwan's lawmakers. The DPP dominated the outstanding list, accounting for 20 of 26 names. Three lawmakers were placed on a watch list for poor performance. These were two DPP lawmakers and one independent who was put on the notice for the third time in a row. No KMT lawmakers were given a ranking as none of them sent in materials for evaluation. Citizen Congress Watch has released its rankings for the fourth session of the 10th Legislative Yuan. The NGO named 26 outstanding lawmakers, 20 from the DPP, 3 from the Taiwan People's Party, and 3 from the New Power Party. The president of the Legislative Yuan, Yoshi Kun, received an award for promoting diplomacy and transparency in legislation. Citizen Congress Watch put three lawmakers on notice. These are the DPP's Ling Daihua and Yu Tian, and independent legislator Gao Jing Su Mei, who made the watch list for the third time in a row. No evaluation, good or bad, was given to lawmakers from the KMT, as none of them submitted assessment materials. It's clear that KMT lawmakers as a whole have become lackadaisical in the face of public oversight. All the information is public. They need to face up to the people. The NGO said it ranked lawmakers based on their participation in review and interpolation sessions, as well as their work on bills and budget proposals. Because all this information is available online, lawmakers who refuse to submit evaluation materials cannot hide from public scrutiny, it said. In this session's list of outstanding lawmakers, New Power Party lawmaker Chiu Xianzhi and DPP lawmaker Zhong Jiabing ranked at the very top. What we want most is for the various government departments to truly hear the voice of the people. The KMT wouldn't accept being evaluated by Citizen Congress Watch. We don't think that avoidance is a good way to solve a problem. Accepting the scrutiny of civic groups and the public is the right thing to do. I believe that Citizen Congress Watch was recognizing my emphasis on local rigor and clarity during interpolation sessions. The KMT rejected the oversight of Citizen Congress Watch. I personally don't think they needed to do that. The lawmakers called on the KMT to accept the scrutiny of Citizen Congress Watch. They urged the NGO to continue its supervision of the legislature in order to promote more positive change. 
A young Taiwanese woman has emerged as the latest face of China's unification campaign. The woman, surnamed Huang, starred in a short online video sponsored by the Xiamen Star Satellite Channel. In the video, she introduces Taiwan's longest river, the Zhuoshui River. She then pours its water into a jar of water collected from China's Yellow River to symbolize unification. The video has been met with a cold reception in Taipei. The defense of sovereignty and independence is the greatest common value of Taiwan. Therefore, I believe that China's low-level united front tactics will have a very limited effect. If anyone attempts to develop an organization in Taiwan or affect our national security on behalf of China's main party, its government or its military, we will take action under the newly revised National Security Act and related laws and regulations. We'd like to remind Taiwanese citizens that when they're living in China, they should consider public perception in Taiwan and jointly safeguard our national sovereignty and dignity. They should not collaborate in the CCP's United Front campaign against Taiwan. The Mainland Affairs Council urged Taiwan citizens not to jeopardize national security for personal gain. DPP lawmaker Wang Dingyu said that working as a Chinese agent was in violation of Taiwan's national security law. We'll head down to Tainan for a visit to a noodle shop known for its amazing fried fish. The shop has been delighting locals for more than six decades. And it's even enjoyed multiple visits from President Tsai Ing-wen. If you're in the area, please be sure to check out this hidden gem. With one bite, this fried lizardfish crackles in the mouth, its rich and chewy flesh melting inside the crunchy batter. This is the famous Huocheng noodles at a Tainan noodle shop of more than 60 years standing. Golden noodles are topped with meat, mince and boiling hot soup. Then, garnish with fried lizardfish, fish balls, intestines, milkfish, and pork strips. Those toppings give it the name Five Faces Noodles, and many diners have been coming here for this dish for decades. I buy it to take home and share with family. The fish balls and the noodles are great, chewy but firm. The fried lizardfish is just wonderful. I've never had better. The store's name comes from the founder's name, Du Huocheng. Now his son, Du Jinggong, is carrying on the family business, having grown up learning all the tricks. The fare here is rich, flavorful, and amazing value. Even President Tsai Ing-wen has paid the shop a visit multiple times. Neighbors call it the President's Noodles. In order to protect the oceans, the family stops selling fried lizard fish once every 10 years, so the fish can achieve balance in the ocean ecology. The reason we have this flavor is because in the old days, fried fish sticks were made with ground fish flakes. The bones were very fine, and it was a lot of complex work. Then my dad invented his own method, which you can take away as a souvenir, so they come out more like balls. Du continues his old man's recipes, including lizardfish sauce that you can't get anywhere else. His golden fish sticks are the perfect embellishment for the noodles served up. Definitely one to look out for on a trip to Tainan. They've been a part of Taiwan streets for 70 years and made a killing of 8 million NT in their heyday. Now they're almost obsolete. We're talking, of course, about phone boxes. The public telephone has seen an extreme customer drop-off over the last two decades. Personal device use has superseded the public facility. The National Communications Commission says it wants to defend access to phone boxes in an emergency. 
but when was the last time you used one? We hit the street to find out more. Pick up the receiver, feed in a coin, and tap in your number. Public telephones have been around in Taiwan for more than 70 years. At the peak, there were 150,000 spread all over the country. But as cell phones took over, public phones declined. Just 33,000 remain, and many old phone boxes stand around hardly used. I personally think they're probably not necessary because everyone has a cell now. You can borrow a cell in many places and make a call on it. Some people can use phone boxes if they happen to not have their mobile on them. Many people have little time for phone boxes and the stats don't lie. Taiwan's first public telephone was built in 1947. In 1981, a phone in every village policy saw their availability mushroom. In 1999, revenue from public phones reached a peak of 8.6 billion NT. But now it's just 110 million NT. With overheads to defray, operators have gradually shut phone boxes down until last year, just 33,000 remained. I'm standing right now at Zhongxia Fuxing MRT station. Let's see where the nearest phone box is from this spot. If I get in a car, I have to ride almost 10 minutes and travel almost 2 kilometers to finally find a phone box at this park. So are public phones destined to become history? The National Communications Commission says phone boxes still have a vital function in emergencies. They plan to support operators to build new phones in nine types of sites, including remote rural areas, schools, hospitals, train stations and mountains to protect access to communication for everyone.